welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So here we are in week three of our thankful series, and and we've started off by talking about being thankful in contentment, being thankful in in the good or the bad, finding an opportunity to be content and being thankful for where God has us in that season, in that moment, which is a hard thing to, to develop, right? And Paul says, I have learned to be content. So we learned that being content is a learned behavior, right? And that we can be thankful for where we are and be content in those moments. And then last week, we talked about being thankful for the cross and thankful for what what Jesus did on the cross for us, showing us grace and showing us mercy and in and, and the love that was given to us through the cross. It's just a remarkable thing. And hopefully during this last week, you had an opportunity to be able to stop for a moment and say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die so that we might have salvation. Hopefully you had a moment to be able to stop and say thank you. So this week we're going to continue that. We're going to wrap up our series on on being thankful and living this life of thankfulness. And and it's kind of been more of an idea of what can we be thankful for. It may be thinking a little bit outside of the box and the idea of thankfulness or thanksgiving or or the idea of giving. But, But what can we truly be thankful for? And today I want to talk about being thankful for the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing about the Holy Spirit is that this is one of those topics that is usually kind of like a pendulum swing. Either you're one side or the other, right? You can swing really far this way or swing really far this way, and you go, easy does it on the Holy Spirit conversation. You know, either you become like this, this weird fanatic or you completely shy away from the whole idea. Now, I have to believe that there are people that find themselves kind of in the middle of that, right? And so be, teaching on the Holy Spirit is, is sometimes uh, a, a tiptoed around subject or a neglected subject altogether because I think the, the reality is there is this real fear of the unknown. And so people look at that and say, you know what, people aren't too sure about the Holy Spirit and the idea of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit. And so there is this, this fear and this caution. And so they put up walls or barriers and say, you know what, let's not go there. Let's walk away from that. But here's the reality is that the Bible speaks very clearly about who the Holy Spirit is. And so I think it's important for us to include him in our teaching and, and to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit to bring clarity and understanding. Because why walk in the dark when it pertains to the third person of the Trinity, right? And you go, well, they are, he is in fact God. The Holy Spirit is in fact God. So let's make sure that we bring him into our teaching and our understanding of who God is. And so today we're going to talk about being thankful for the Holy Spirit. But as we begin, I think that we have to have some very clear um, background and understanding as to who the Holy Spirit is and, and, and the fact that there's this sometimes this misconception or this misnomer that the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit really didn't happen until the New Testament in, in Acts when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to send somebody, and then there's the outpouring, right? Well, the reality is, is that the Holy Spirit has been present and active since the beginning. In fact, we'll start today, and this is still introduction time, so this doesn't count towards preaching, so just FYI. We're going to start today in Genesis in chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, so really, literally, at the beginning, right? We're going to go back to the very beginning to begin. And it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I think we all have heard that verse somewhere along the way. And there's been a lot of jokes like Jesus or God was a big baseball fan because in the big inning, right? And it's like, this is really cheesy, horrible jokes, right? And we have all these things. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, verse two, it says this, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering 
over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So let's look at this real fast. Four quick things. One, we see that God is the creator. Right? He created the heavens and the earth. Now, the heavens would be not, not in the sense of where you go when you die, but in the sense of the vast skies that we see, the stars in the sky, the galaxies and all that. He created the heavens, right? That would be the term used in the Hebrew world for, for the sky, for the universe, the stars, all that would be the heavens. And then he created the earth. So we have this earth, and it was formless. And so we have this earth that God created. And then the second thing is this, that the earth was formless and dark. It's formless and dark. What an awful place to live, right? There's nothing. There's no shape. There's no form. It's just here. We have this, this thing that's here. Um, and we could get into more Hebrew terms, and, and we won't. We'll stay away from it for another day because there's a lot to just that statement. But we'll study that at another time because it's mind-blowing stuff. It's really cool for me anyways. I'm a nerd. That's all right. We'll roll on. So it's formless and it's dark, right? And, and then we see the third thing is this, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, So here we have this formless world at the very beginning. It's dark, and there's no real shape of things going on. It's just kind of a thing, right? We have the heavens, and then we have this earth, and it's just this creative space. And it says the Spirit of God is hovering. So from the beginning of time, the beginning of creation, we have the Spirit of God present on earth. So from the beginning of time, we have the Spirit of God here covering us. And now here's the thing, the fourth thing that we need to look at is, is the actual word used for spirit. And the actual word used for, for spirit in the Hebrew, I'm going to say it, and I, hopefully I don't get anything on you in the process because it is Hebrew, but it's the word ruach. I'm not making that up. That is how you pronounce it. That, that one is it's, it's accurate. But it is ruach. And what that word actually means is this. It means breath. Just let that sink in for a minute. It means breath. And so now there's a different word. See, in the English language, we have, we have a central root word, which essentially means breathe and breath, right? And we get it from the same word. In the Hebrew, it's totally different. Your act of breathing is another word. What you breathe is ruach. And so you have, when you talk and you feel that, that air on the tips of your fingers, that it would be your ruach, right? In, in the Hebrew world. And so it's saying this breath of God, this life-giving force of God hovered over the earth. It hovered over the earth. In fact, we can see that, that, that the spirit of God is what gives life. So as we continue reading in the Old Testament, and we'll do this again, this is a quick synopsis and overview of, of the history of the Holy Spirit on earth, right? Because I can't tell you anything before earth. We don't have record. Ecclesiastes twelve seven says this, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And that word spirit is ruach. So the life that God gives us, we see we live on this borrowed breath of God. It is what animates things, right? It is what gives life. So as you read through the Old Testament and you talk about just all living things, all living creation, all of that is living by this ruach, this breath of God, this life-giving force, this animating force of God. And so this is the spirit of God. So when we see this and we understand that this Holy Spirit of God is not just new to the New Testament and it is not just given in moments here and there throughout the Old Testament. We say in the spirit of the Lord came on them. Yes, there are those moments such as Samson tearing down the, the, the temple, right? And it says that the spirit of God came on him once again and then boom, he tears down the temple, right? It, it didn't just happen in those moments, but we see that the spirit is hovering, 
It's hovering over the earth from the beginning, and it is what gives life. We breathe in, we breathe out. It is the spirit of God, right? It is the ruach of God. It is the breath that he gives us. So when we sing songs like, it's your breath in our lungs, well, that is as accurate as you could ever possibly sing, biblically speaking. So sing songs like that. That's good, right? I'm just kidding. We sing good songs. It sounded like a knock. It's not a knock. Uh, It's just a... That song is biblically accurate, but this is going south in a hurry, right? This is not good. So fast forward to the New Testament. We're still in introduction. Fast forward to the New Testament, and there is a word that is found in in what is called, uh, you have the Septuagint, which would be the Greek writing uh, or translation of the Torah, the Old Testament, the law, okay? And so in this Greek writing, the word pneuma is the Greek word that we have used. Pneuma is what's used for spirit. And it has the same meanings and same connotations, right? It has the same idea of, of breath, of life, and you don't have to get stuff on people when you say it. It's a much better choice of word to say pneuma than ruach. You're like, ah, get away from me. So you have pneuma. Pneuma is this life-giving structure, this life-giving force that comes from God. It is his spirit. It is his breath, Right? It is, it is what animates things. So as we move into the New Testament, we find that, that spirit is not a new thing. Obviously, it's a new word because now we've moved from the Hebrew world to the Greek world. And we find that, that pneuma is the word for the spirit of God in the New Testament. And they still, being the same person, being the same being, act the same way. They do the same things. But we find, as we read, that there is another outpouring of the Spirit of God that Jesus refers to. And we'll read through some of those things today. And as we see these things happen, that now there is a a new, I I don't want to say necessarily a freedom, but there is a greater outpouring or a wider outpouring of the Spirit of God, allowing for different things to take place within the church and amongst the believers, right? So today, as, as we have this understanding of the Holy Spirit, I, I, I want to talk through some things that we can be thankful for that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, that the Holy Spirit does through us and in us, and how he works amongst believers, because I think it's vital and necessary. Now, I, I could ask for a show of hands, and I will not, but, but I'm sure there are many of us in this room that have been in churches that have claimed to do things uh, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And you would go, man, that is weird, right? And that's okay to say those things because I've been in those services too. And I can tell you right now, man, that is weird. It's so one of the overarching themes that I hope to carry throughout today is this, that the Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. And you can laugh at that. And that's great if you do, because I laugh at it too. But it's the truth, right? That's what happens is, is people begin to become emotionally involved with the work of the Spirit. And when that happens weird things can happen, right? And because there's no control. And so understanding this, as we talk about the Holy Spirit and being thankful for him, the Holy Spirit's not weird. People are weird. People make the Holy Spirit weird and it gives him a bad rap. And he's like, hey, listen, I'm God. Uh, I'm not weird. I gave you Jesus. You know, we're all together. We're like, God, all right. So, so follow me was, as we talk through this today. Um, Kind of the big thought and the big idea is this today. Without the Holy Spirit, we would never know Christ or be able to share in the power that he gives. Without the Holy Spirit, we'd never be able to know Christ or share in the power that he gives. The first thing I want to talk about today as we get into our actual message is this. We can be thankful that the Holy Spirit leads us to Christ. We can be thankful that the Holy Spirit leads us to Christ. 
And now we'll, we'll go through some scriptures, some understandings, but, but if there is something to be thankful for, that would be whoever is leading us to Jesus, right? Man, at the end of it, we go, we talked last week about how we are so thankful for the work of the cross and we're thankful for the grace that was given, for the mercy that was extended towards us. And it is through the leading of the spirit that we come to this conclusion in this place where we go, okay, and we're face to face with that decision that has to be made. And we're able to then go, Jesus, I, I ask you into my life. And we can be thankful that the Holy Spirit leads us to Christ. John 16, verses 13 and 14, it says, but when he, the spirit of truth, that's the pneuma of truth, the breath of truth, the life of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what will make known, what he will make known to you. See, the spirit of truth is breath of truth, this agent that leads us into all truth. See, the Holy Spirit works in, in conjunction with the rest of the Trinity, rest of the triune God. He works alongside because he is, in fact, a part of who God is, right? And so he's saying, listen, the spirit of truth is going to come, and he's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to lead you into all truth, and he's going to be working right with me. He's going to be saying the things that I say to tell you, to push you into, to talk to you. And, and so it's this, through this leading of the spirit. So this leading of the spirit. See, we have the word for faith in, in the Greek word is the word pistis, and, and, and it, it actually means persuasion, right? And, and he's saying this, he's going, you know, this is a persuasion of who I am and who God says he is in those, in those things. And, and what we find is that it is, it is a persuasion that comes from the work of the Lord. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit that he is building up that persuasion in us, right? And one of the gifts of the spirit is faith. Right? So the spirit enables us to have this faith and this growth in this faith, right? So that we in turn then come to the point and to the conclusion that the spirit of truth has led us to this moment of Jesus and this salvation. So it's through the work of the spirit that we are drawn then to the Lord, that we are drawn to Jesus. How many of you can say you are so thankful for anything that leads you into truth, right? And so I say, I'm thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit that he leads me into the truth and the revelation of Jesus Christ and my need for him. If we ever get to a point in our lives where we think, man, look what the look, decision that I made, how I got myself to this point, I recognized on my own my need for Jesus. Well, we've, missed, we've missed it completely. And, and we, have, we have begun to, to gain pride in our salvation and thinking that it was our works or our doing or our thinking that led us to this moment. And that's a false thought process. It is by the work of the Spirit that we are drawn to Jesus. It is by the work of the Spirit that we are drawn into salvation. It is his building of our faith. It is his work, the gift of faith that comes through Christ or comes through the Holy Spirit to lead us into faith in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for things that lead me in directions of truth, right? There's, there's a reason we have street signs when we drive. If we ignore those signs, it doesn't go well for us as a driver. Ultimately, it doesn't go well for the others on the road either, especially if it's a one-way road. And you go, true story. Where our church was what we were at previously in Midlothian, it was about 300 feet, about 100 yards from the exit of our church to the entrance of Walmart on a one-way street. It was Walmart, then our church. We were in a high-class part of town. Y'all want to go on down to Walmart? That's, <laughs> we'll stop by the Life Church after that, right? Because that's kind of the world we lived in. It's not that bad. I'm just kidding. But just it sounds funny. When you say, oh, we're the church next to Walmart, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
But more than once, I saw people go, I need to go to Walmart, but I don't want to do this big loop around because that would just waste time. I'm just going to go the wrong way. I'm not kidding. There's people do this all the time. They still do it, right? And you go, this is, it's not smart. It's going to cost you one day. And I saw a person one time. I, I don't think they were from our church. I think what they did was they missed Walmart. They pulled into our parking lot, turned around and thought they could make it back only to find out that there was a police officer coming the other way. So I go to leave and they're like sitting face to face with the cop and the lights are on. I was like, didn't work out well for you, right? You pay attention to the signs, right? Pay attention to where you're going. See, the Holy Spirit works in that way. Like he, he leads us in truth, right? And so he, he gives us these signs and these directions and things and, and he speaks to us because he wants to reveal to us the truth uh, in, in ourselves and the truth of, of Jesus and who, who Christ is. So he leads us through his leading, through his speaking. It's the spirit of truth that begins to, to bring revelation into our hearts and into our minds. So I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit leads us in truth and then leads us to Jesus through that truth. Thankful for that. The second thing is we can be thankful that the Holy Spirit convicts us of unrighteousness. He convicts us of unrighteousness. And let's look at this real fast. John 16, 8. Still in John chapter 16. When he comes, he will prove to the world, he will prove the world, I'm sorry, to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He will prove the world to be wrong in sin and in righteousness and in judgment. The word that's really important here is the word prove. That word prove is actually a word that, that translates to the word convict. So when I say that he convicts us of our unrighteousness, right? It's that same word. It's the same Greek word. It means to convict, to, to, to reveal. Now, this isn't in the sense of sitting on trial where he brings you up in front of everybody and then begins to point and show the whole world all of your wrongdoings and point out your, your shame and your guilt and all of that stuff. It's not in that sense. This isn't a conviction that you would find in a courtroom. This isn't like a, a, a felon sitting on trial, right? This isn't in that regard. This is a personal... in. A, in a connection where the Holy Spirit is speaking and saying, you know that's wrong. You feel it in your heart. You know it's wrong. That's where the Holy Spirit works. And now this is what I love about this is this is a continual work. How many of you would say that after salvation, you have felt moments of conviction, right? Where you go, okay, well, I asked Jesus in my heart and then now I still feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me when I do something wrong. And you go, oh yeah, we need to fix that, don't we? And he's like, yeah, let's fix that. And you go, all right, sounds good. You have those conversations. See, it's this conviction. You know what I love is that in Romans 8 that it says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't work in a way that he wants to destroy the way you feel about yourself, right? He's not trying to keep you in a state of condemnation. He's not trying to keep you in a state of guilt. He leads us into, you know, he lets us feel the conviction so that we can correct it, so we can draw closer to the Lord, not so that we can begin to hide in, in, in our shame and hide in our guilt and, and forever be covered by this, right? There's no condemnation. There is conviction, right? Conviction says, I love you so much that I don't want you to stay the same. Conviction says, I love you so much, I want to see you grow. I love you so much, I want to see you be better. I want to see you draw closer. Condemnation says, you are worthless, you're no good, you're guilty, and you're covered in shame. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't work under the sense of condemnation. He works under conviction, right? Condemnation says, in an arrogant, prideful way, this is how I view condemnation, the work on the cross was not sufficient for my sin, therefore I remain guilty, Conviction says, no, 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 there's love, there's grace, 
you feel the need for change. You feel the need for difference. That's the work of the Holy Spirit saying, feel that, let's correct it, let's change it, let's move on. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. I have a little sister, therefore I have the right to pick on my little sister when I preach. Rachel will be 30 here in the month of December, and so this is a great story. When she was younger, she was about six years old, she had a best friend named Brittany Peters. And Brittany and Rachel did everything together forever and ever and ever. They were in each other's weddings and all that and stuff. But Rachel was the friend, my little sister, was the friend who was the dominant friend who controlled every scenario, every situation, and every move Brittany made. She was not a good friend. Now, when she was about six years old, I remember being with my mom, and we went to go pick Rachel up from spending the night at Brittany's house. We go and we pick her up. Everything seems great. Now, mind you, this is a a brother's perspective, right, and not my mom's perspective. And we go and we get her in the car, and and we don't even pull out the minivan. We were a good 90s family. We get her in the minivan, and, um, and, and so we are about to leave, and I'm buckled up, and we're still sitting in front of the house, and Rachel says out loud, the devil made me do it. Which as a brother, you immediately go, this is going to get good. (laughs) Cannot wait to hear what comes next. And my mom goes, the devil made you do what? (laughs) The devil made me do it, mom. Little sister's also a smidge dramatic, so. She's like, "What what do you... The devil made you, first of all, yes, trust me, there was correction to her theology. Uh, the devil doesn't make you do anything, right? She, she learned that in that moment as well. But, but then it was the, the uh, what are you talking about, Rachel? What are, you, what are you saying? Come to find out, Rachel had like hit Brittany several times and like threatened her and like, you better not tell or something like this. It's like I said, she was not a good friend at six years old. Uh, things got better. Things got better. She was allowed to tell if she got hit after that, so... <laughs> making it worse and worse. Uh, but it was that, that conviction that led her to her false theology in the moment of the devil forcing her to do wrong. But, but it was that conviction of going, nobody had said anything. Brittany listened to the threat Rachel had made and didn't say anything in the moment. And yet Rachel gets in the minivan and my mom is sitting there and I'm sitting there and she cannot contain it any longer. And at six years old, you're seeing the Holy Spirit work in her going, I did wrong and I need to fix it. I need to make it better. I need to make it right. You know, even though she diverted blame and threw it on the devil. But uh, we worked through that and now she's a pastor's wife. So she doesn't blame the devil near as often. So it's good. Um, But what we find is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's in those moments where you go, I can't contain it anymore. I can't keep it inside anymore. Where the Holy Spirit begins to push and push and push. I'm sorry, my nose keeps itching. It makes the microphone sound funny. Anyways. The Holy Spirit just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and saying, you need to do something about this. You need to do something. You need to do something. You know, in James, it says, confess your sins one to another. See, it's the Holy Spirit's conviction that leads us into that confession. And, and he says, then you will be made well, right? As if this, this sickness is a sin, it's, right? It's this disease in a sense, and it's killing us. In fact, in, in Ephesians and in, uh, I want to say Corinthians as well, he, he basically says that we were dead in our sin, right? We were dead in our sin, but we were made alive in Christ. And see, it's that life-giving force of the Holy Spirit. And it's that sin that is this disease that kills us. And so when James says, confess your sins one to another and you will be made well, he's saying you're going to be rid of those things. 
We'd be rid of that disease, rid of that sickness. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts us and leads us into that moment of con- that conviction that leads us to that confession. So I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for the work that he does in convicting us of our unrighteousness so that we can draw closer to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Then the next thing is this. Third, we can be thankful that the Holy Spirit gives us the power we need to be witnesses. The Holy Spirit gives us the power we need to be witnesses. Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. Now that's an incredible statement if you understand it fully. Jesus is now speaking just before he ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father, right? We're at this moment where this is Jesus' final words, his last few statements to his disciples, to his followers, and he's about to go. They're about to watch him go to heaven, which is kind of a crazy thing in and of itself to be like, wow, I was there when, you know, uh, nobody could ever outdo your story. One of those kind of things would be great, but uh, you don't have to worry about anybody one-upping you ever. Be like, hmm, it's great. I watched Jesus go to heaven. I win. Thank you. All right. So, you know, but so this is his final words. He's, he's, he's building them up and he's saying, listen, I am going to send my spirit. The spirit is coming. He's saying, I'm going to send a helper, a comforter. He's going to come. And he says this, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And now, I don't know what they were thinking that would mean. I don't know if they had any understanding of what the power would be. I don't know if they had any understanding or, 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 or recollection of what, in fact, Jesus would be talking about. And he says, and you will be my witnesses. See, the Holy Spirit is that empowering entity inside the Christian that allows us to have the boldness to share our faith, that gives us the boldness to stand up for truth and the boldness to stand up for what's right because it is through the work of the Spirit that empowers us. In fact, the word for power in the Greek is the word dynamis, which is where we get our word dynamite from. And if you were ever in my youth group, you only heard me say that about a thousand times. And there's someone here that was. That's why I say that because she has heard me say it a million times. But that is where we get our, our, our word for dynamite, right? It is this, this, this powerful entity, right? It is this explosive kind of power that we receive when the Holy Spirit comes on us, right? He's saying, you're going to receive this power, and you're going to be my witnesses. And understanding the power of the Spirit is for that reason there, to be witnesses, It is to be witnesses so that we can then share our faith. We can share Jesus with those around us. And the Holy Spirit comes along and he says, I don't want you to feel like you have to do this on your own. Let me come help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me give you the strength you need. Have you ever had one of those moments where you felt like, uh, you you felt that the elbow of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has an elbow, right? Because you feel him like nudge you. And he's like, talk to that person about me. Like, you see how they're having a bad day. Go tell them that I love them. Or whatever, you know, and you get that nudge and you're like, Oh, great. I have to do that. Thank you. Stop nudging me. Right? See, it's when you get into that moment and you feel timid and you feel shy and you're like, I can't do this. I can't. I can't. And then all of a sudden the words come out and you're like, hey, Jesus loves you. That's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You go, that's outside of my personality, right? Maybe you go, I'm really kind of a shy person around other people. I'm, I'm personally not a shy person around other people and I make my wife very uncomfortable because I will talk to complete and total strangers and have full conversations, but that's me. It, it's so, but, but it's that, that empowering that comes along and says, I want to embolden you so that you in turn can share your faith. That is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. He says, I, I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you boldness, but I came so that 
you could be witnesses. Jesus said, you will be witnesses, right? And he said, you start at home and then you go to the surrounding cities and then to the end of the earth. And that's, that's the way that works. But, but he's saying, I'm gonna fill you up with the power needed so that you can share the faith of Jesus Christ to those around you. For some of us, it's hard to walk in that. For some of us, we, we, we have this thought of, you know what, I'm gonna kind of push back against that a little bit. When he speaks, I'm gonna go, not, no, I can't, not today. And to that, I would say, maybe we need to spend more time allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us, to fill us, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, overflowing with the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Have you ever had one of those moments when, when all of a sudden boldness came? When boldness came and you were able to speak and to share? I've, I've had a few of those moments in my life. And one of the moments that, that I, I recognize or I recall immediately was a few years ago, we were in Colorado. And when we were in Colorado, we were there in Denver. Um, Lauren and I were there for a conference and we were just learning things and, and it was a really great time. But we went just outside of Denver to a pizza place and, and it was wonderful. It was great and we were having a great time. And it was kind of this small town set on the side of a mountain. It was picturesque. It was beautiful. And, uh, you know, when it's June and it's 72 degrees outside, life is good, right? And so we're walking down the streets, just checking out all of these shops. And, and I was with my brother-in-law, uh, Eric, my little sister's husband. And, and we're walking along. And next thing you know, there's this group of these young kids or whatever. And they're just kind of hanging out, talking. And, and I noticed my brother-in-law walk over and, and he starts talking to him. And now his story is totally different, right? He was on drugs. He was, he was arrested and like all these different things. And I'm like, man, he can relate to anybody right away. He just has this open door. And, you know, and I'm going, I was a good kid in church, you know, forever. I don't have that kind of testimony. So I just kind of hang back. And I'm going, I'm going to watch Eric do his thing, you know, that kind of moment. And Eric begins to talk. And then I noticed this one guy that was kind of isolated and by himself, not talking. And I felt like the Holy Spirit says, Okay, now you go. And I'm going, no, Eric relates. These kids are talking about drugs and he knows better than I do. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, no, you need to go talk to him. Long story short, I go and I start talking to this guy after back and forth for a while. Come to find out he had just recently gone to the church where we were at a conference that week and he had just given his heart to the Lord and didn't know what to do next. And the Holy Spirit was able to open an opportunity for us to be able to share scriptures and talk to him about getting connected and plugged in at that church and all these things. And I was like, man, and I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to stay quiet. And next thing you know, we're connected and, and we're having this great conversation while his other friend was, I think, on something at the moment. Like it was just a, a weird moment. I'm going, this isn't normal, you know, but the Holy Spirit speaking and leading. That's that emboldening power where I go, man that was really cool that I felt the Holy Spirit saying, talk to him, say something. And the next thing you know, he just began to speak and, and his words were flowing and it was me talking, but it was things that I was going, I would have never on my own had the ability to have that conversation. That's the, the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The fourth thing is this today is we can be thankful that the Holy Spirit helps to edify the church, to edify the church. Now, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians for just a moment as, as we finish this, this, this 
point up as we talk about this. Uh, and, and there's a whole lot uh, that if we were to go into chapter 12, we could walk through all of the gifts of the Spirit. And at, at some point in time, we will in fact do that. We will walk through the gifts of the Spirit. What is the Spirit? How does He empower us? What, is he, what are the gifts that He gives? And we'll walk through those things at some point in time. But today, I want to jump into chapter 14. And, and in chapter 14, in verse 5, is really where I want to be. And it says this, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And this is where people start getting a little weirded out. And we'll talk through this. So you you go, okay, we don't have to be weird. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. We'll bring clarity to that. Also someone, uh, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. I want to bring clarity real quick. First of all, Paul is not speaking against speaking in tongues. He is not saying, don't be doing this, don't be doing that. In fact, if you read another parts of, the, of, of that, Paul says, I speak in tongues more than any of you. So if, if that's the reality, okay, so Paul's not speaking against this. He's not saying, don't do that. No, he's saying, I do this more than anybody. He says, and I would love for every one of you to do so. And he says this, so the word rather is very important here because it's not to say instead, it, it, it is a word that actually translates, and I'm not making this up, it's the word malone, which it, it means more than or to a greater degree. He says, so don't stop there, but continue to seek out other gifts as well. Begin to continue to pray for these. He said, my preference would be that you are able to walk in and operate in the gift of prophecy. In the gift of prophecy. Now, we have to be careful with the idea of the, of the gift of prophecy. Now, because in the Old Testament, we had prophets. And the prophets were the ones that were to come and to say, hey, listen, if you don't change, God is going to smite you. Essentially, it was what the work of the prophets were in the Old Testament. And if you read through Ezekiel, it's over and over and over, right? And you go, man, God is smiting them left and right. This is crazy, right? And so, so we see that that's how the prophets worked kind of in the Old Testament. Move to the New Testament into the gift of prophecy. And we see this, that is so that the church may be edified so that the church may be edified, so that the church can be lifted up. Another quick statement is this. Paul says, he continues on and he says, if you walk into the church, and this is my statement for not being weird. He said, put yourself in this situation. You walk into a church and everybody in there is just speaking in tongues and there's no clarity or direction. There's no, no, no interpretation of any kind and you're going, okay, I can't find this anywhere in the Bible. This isn't right. You have the right in that moment to go, you people are crazy and to turn around and walk out. In fact, Paul says so as much. He said, you know, if there's no interpretation, everybody's speaking in tongues, uh, unbelievers are going to come in and go, what is wrong with you people? What is wrong with you people? He says, but if they walk in and there is a prophetic word, and there's a prophecy that is edifying, encouraging, lifted up, he says, the unbeliever will say, God is in this place. God is in this place. So when I say that, that we are not going to be weird, right? We, we're not going to be a weird church. I'll never let us be a weird church because we're going to work in accordance to Scripture as it pertains to the work of the Holy Spirit in our church. We're going to keep complete order with things. And I think that's what happens is when things start to get weird, they begin to become out of order and people are just doing things and there's no control and there's no central point of somebody saying, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. You're out of line. You're outside of scripture. You're not doing things. Anyways, we'll teach on all of that at some point in time. Uh, there is too much to begin to teach if you start opening Pandora's box of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to end up having more questions than we have time for answers. So for the sake of time, let's focus on the fact that the Holy Spirit is here to edify the church. When it comes to a prophetic word, it, it should never be a word of, of condemnation. Um, it should never be a word from somebody saying, thus saith the Lord, repent or die, right? 
That is not edifying or encouraging to the church. The, Paul writes that, that the, the prophecy is for the edification of the church, right? Prophecy is for the uplifting of the church. And so as you begin to have somebody prophesy, it should be an encouraging word. It should be an encouraging word. Lauren and I have had some incredible experiences where people who were operating in the gift of prophecy and they spoke and it was accurate. Now, we've had people who are operating and in, in, in trying to operate in the gift of prophecy and they missed. That happens. And they were off, right? You know, and, and they're trying to step out in that. And sometimes that happens and we have to give them grace and say, okay, you know what? You missed it. And that's okay. That's okay. And then you have those that are just completely off, like off the rocker. And then you just turn, turn and walk away, okay? And you go, no, that's not right. I do not have an Aunt Gladys, and you're making up stuff, right? <laughs> that stuff happens too. Let's just be real. Let's call that what it is. Um, no, we, we don't know if the Lord is coming back on September 24th, 2021. We'll never, you know, okay. But Lauren and I have had some incredible encounters with people who we view as and respect as uh, people that operate in the gift of prophecy, and some of that stuff is very personal and very private, right? And they say these things, and, and then we begin to weep because they're like reading our mail. And you're like, you and I have never talked about this. We're not that close. You know what I mean? And then they begin to share these things and speak these things, and you can go, whoa, that's the work of God. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through them, enabling them to, to speak into my life and encourage us. We had a guy who, who we've always kind of deemed as a little bit funny and a little bit different. And nice guy, has the biggest heart in the world, loves to help kids. And really, really, truly, truly nice. And what's funny is he's Canadian, so it only feeds the idea that all Canadians are nice, right? And I'm like, this dude is super nice. He just really is. It, but he operates in the gift of prophecy. And we've always kind of been like, oh, here he comes. He's going to da 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 But then when he speaks and he's like, hey, I heard from the Lord, we stop. We truly stop and we go, we want to hear what you have to say. Because he truly hears from God. He operates in the gift of prophecy. He walks in that. And he's not weird about it. He's not stopping service and yelling over everybody and, and saying, thus saith the Lord. No, he just comes up to, up to you afterwards like, hey, uh, God spoke to me about a week ago. And I'm meaning to share this with you. He spoke to us one time about one of our children, and, and we just began to, to just weep sitting there after church. Nobody else is in the auditorium, and we're just in there crying because he heard from the Lord about one of our sons, and we're going, whoa. And it was right, you know? When people begin to work in the true outpouring of the Spirit, it's not weird, and you can truly discern and recognize that it is the move of God. That's the difference. Therefore, it edifies the church. If there's ever a, a, an outpouring of the Spirit or somebody says they are in revival, the quickest test you can have to, to check it is, are people being saved? Because the Holy Spirit came to lead people to truth. And if so if they're saying they're having this great revival and all this stuff is happening and nobody's getting saved, it makes me, it makes me raise some questions. Anyways, we can get into discernment at another time also. We talked about those things. But the Holy Spirit is, it came to edify the church, to encourage us, to build us up. It, it, you know, there's a lot of other things. He also works in ways to help us like each other. That's a cool one. Uh, we, we can get into that at another time as well. But I'll invite the worship team to come. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to be weird. And, and, that's, and that's my hope in, in, in teaching through these things. As, as we have time, we, we will do a series this next year completely on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. 
And, and we have to take time for that. We can't do it in a day, right? But my hope is this, that we learn as a church that the Holy Spirit's not weird. And there's a way to be a spirit-led people without being weird people. There's a way to be spirit-led people without people walking by the church going, don't go in there, they're crazy. And then there's a way to completely destroy all of that and to allow emotions and flesh to get in the way and begin to do things and, and step in front and begin to take over the gifts of the Spirit, which is not possible, right? Let's just... But I want us to be a people that, that, are, that are thankful for the Holy Spirit, for the work that He does in our lives, for the work that He does in our church, for the power that He gives, for the empowerment that comes, the boldness that comes because of the work of the Holy Spirit. I want us to just say, God, we thank you for what you do. I want us to recognize when the Holy Spirit's moving and to give reverence in that moment. I want us to be able to recognize when the Holy Spirit is speaking and be able to pause for a moment and say, okay, God, now what do you want from me in response to that? I've always found that when the Holy Spirit speaks, it, it, it is for us to then respond to. When he speaks, we go, okay, now what is my response to that? What, what change is required of me? What difference do I need? Or is it just a, I need to stop and worship you. I just need to stop and honor the Lord. So my hope with this today was just to simply say, hey, there are things about the Holy Spirit that oftentimes get overlooked. There are things about the Holy Spirit that oftentimes get neglected and pushed aside. And my, my hope is this, that we can stop and say, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work that you do. Thank you for what you've done in my heart. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for leading me to where I am. Thank you for leading me to the truth of Jesus. Thank you for leading me in conviction. As I begin to get out of line, you bring me back in line. You draw me closer. Thank you for the empowerment that you give so that I can share the love of Jesus with somebody else. Thank you for the work that you do in our church to edify the church, to edify the church and what you're doing here. So Father, this morning, we thank you, God that you would send your Holy Spirit, that you would pour out your Spirit, God, on the day of Pentecost, that, that we find the 120 gathered in the upper room and then what, what, what appears like, like tongues of fire begins to rest on them as they begin to speak in other tongues and they begin to, to, to operate and work in the gifts of the Spirit from that moment. God, I thank you that, that you've brought order to the work of your spirit, that you've brought order to, to what you're accomplishing, to what you're doing. And so, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be poured out on us. God, I pray that as a church that we learn to walk in your leading. God, that we learn to breathe in the Spirit of God. God, and learn to recognize that you are in all things God, that you are moving in all living things or that you have poured out your breath on us. God, and we can stop and thank you for that. And we can thank you for that. So God, I pray over Grace Hill. God, as we move forward, as we work, as we, as we walk this life of Christianity, Lord, that we begin to create space for the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we begin to create space for the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we step out and we say, lead me, let me be obedient to you. Let me be obedient to you. We thank you for it, God. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name.
Jesus' name. Here's my challenge to you this week. Here's my challenge to you this week. Find time every day. I used to do this thing when I was a youth pastor, and I'd call it the six-minute challenge, and, and it was just really simple. I'd say, get up six minutes early, spend three minutes reading. You can read a chapter in the Bible in three minutes, and then spend three minutes praying if you don't do anything already. If you have a, a consistent prayer time and devotional time already, continue in that. But I would say, if you haven't started that time with the Lord in the mornings, give yourself six minutes in the morning. You can make six minutes happen. If you set your alarm for, for, for 7.54 instead of 8 o'clock, I, don't, I mean, if any of you are waking up at 8 o'clock, bless your life. That is wonderful. Uh, you know, that's good for you. But you get what I'm saying. Find six minutes. You can make six minutes happen and begin to grow in that and begin to say in that prayer, in that time, say, Holy Spirit, speak to me today. Lead me today. Lead me today. And allow the Spirit to lead and to speak. And who knows what will begin to happen as you stop and give time for the Spirit to work in your life. Like I said, oftentimes He's kind of the, the we're going to turn away from the Holy Spirit and what He's doing, and yet He's all throughout Scripture. He's been hovering over the earth since the beginning of time, and we need to stop and recognize His work and His power and His authority in our lives and say, Holy Spirit, have freedom, have freedom. And remember, the Holy Spirit's not weird. He's not going to lead you into doing weird things. He's not going to take over your body and you're going to lose control. Remember, one of the gifts of the Spirit is, in fact, self-control, right? So um, we can get into that at another time also. But my challenge to you this week is find time to say, okay, I'm going to set aside a time and a moment today to invite the Holy Spirit to lead me throughout my day. And just stop for a moment. Say, Holy Spirit, lead me. Lead me today. To be the man or woman of God you've called me to be. Father, we love you and we thank you, God, for the opportunity to come and to worship you, to study your word, Lord, to be, to be built up and to be encouraged by your spirit. So, Father, I pray that you will lead us and guide us in all things, Father, that you will walk with us. We praise you for it, Lord. We give you glory and we give you honor for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.